cylinder deactivation. So impossibly scary buying a car with all this tech. But I guess what you need to know is, is it intrinsically a bad idea? I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia, mate. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that's up there now, dude. This is a question from Jeff Miller in Danistan. Vicuigia. I loved your video on the CX30 BS car of the year. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. That's just Wheels Magazine, in my view, doing what it does best. That bastion of Australian publishing. Being completely out of touch with ordinary people buying cars. We will soon be looking at another car, and our shortlist is either a new Tucson or Mazda 6. New Tucson could be pretty hard to find at the moment, especially that new one with the 1.6 turbo engine. I think they've got problems with the semiconductor shortage there and it's a bit like procuring hen's teeth. So I would wait actually if I was in the market for a Tucson and what I'd be doing is wait for Kia to launch the Sportage which is coming towards the end of the year subject to you know the zombie apocalypse and all of that kind of thing and just have a look at the two of them side by side because they're essentially two different vehicles built off the same architecture and then you get to choose which one you like the best and of course Kia offers the seven-year warranty versus Hyundai's five at the Forester is a starter in this segment as well as is the Mazda CX-5. Mazda 6 is a damn good car but people don't buy that. They buy SUVs these days so I don't know how the resale proposition is stacking up for cars like the Mazda 6. But anyway, let us get on with the nuts and bolts of this. However, the Mazda's cylinder deactivation bothers us in terms of its complexity and reliability. So in principle, I agree, complexity is the enemy of reliability. And the only thing standing between you and a complexity-driven reliability disaster is a whole bunch of brainiacs doing the R&D correctly. And you've got to rely on them. You've also got to rely on the process being reasonably devoid of asshole bean counters saying, oh no, we need to save one cent on that part there. And the you know, if you can save one cent on a part times one million vehicles down the track, then you save $10,000. And if you can do that on one of every part in a car, and there's like roughly 10,000 parts in a car, that all of a sudden you've saved $100 million, which is kind of a big deal. If you do that across a portfolio of 50 cars in the range or whatever it is, if you're a major car maker, then that's a hell of a lot of dough right? So I get why they want to cut costs, but there's a point at which you get this bean counter driven reliability disaster. So I agree with that. And it all depends on the nuts and bolts. Our family service centre suggests that the system would create back pressure in the fuel injection system, which is not a good thing long term. Exactly how is that the case, dude? Like, riddle me that because I'm not seeing it. 
the 2.5 litre Sky Active petrol engine, which is the one with the cylinder deactivation technology, that's got direct injection. So direct injection works like this. You've got a pipe, like a fuel rail, that's maintained at a constant high pressure. And I think for gasoline engines, that's like... 300 or 400 atmospheres. It's not as high as for a diesel engine, but it's still a lot of pressure, okay? So what happens is you've got this pipe. Have I got something here? Imagine this drill chuck is a pipe, okay? And imagine it's got three or 400 atmospheres worth of pressurised fuel inside it. And imagine the business end of the chuck here is the injector, and the injector just opens. It's just like a tap that opens really briefly, four or five or six times during each combustion cycle, right? It's very precisely timed, but all it does is goes like that. That's all it does. So I fail to see how when that cylinder is deactivated, having the tap shut on the injector... I fail to see how that's going to have any impact on the pressure inside the fuel rail, which is maintained at a constant three to 400 atmospheres. Okay, so that seems to be bullshit to me. So if you're in any way confused about cylinder deactivation and what that does, okay, essentially this only happens at low loads, like when you're loping along on the flat, slightly downhill, whatever, on the freeway, you're doing like 100 k's an hour or 110, something like that, and you've got very little pressure on the accelerator. In that state, the engine is not particularly efficient, right? Because the volumetric efficiency of the engine is bad at low loads because it's designed to be volumetrically efficient at higher revs where it's delivering more mumbo, all right? So if you take two of those cylinders magically out of play just for a moment, like we get Harry Potter's wand and we go with it and we just shut down, in Mazda's case, cylinder one and cylinder four. And we do that by just shutting the valves, okay? So the inlet valves and the exhaust valves just remain closed in that situation and the injectors are turned off. So the cylinders are out of play. Pistons going up and down, however many times a second, 20 times a second or something. But Basically, they're not doing any work. And what this does is it eliminates the pumping losses and increases the volumetric efficiency of the cylinders that are working. All right. So that's how cylinder deactivation technology works. And I fail to see how that has any impact whatsoever on the fuel rail because the fuel rail is just a thing at pressure and it's got little taps on it going in the millisecond domain really, really fast. And that's just not happening so much when those cylinders are deactivated. So not so sure about that one. Also, an additional electronically controlled cylinder lubrication system has to be fitted to ensure proper oil flow. Not seeing that one so much either, dude, because, you know, all of the bits that are lubricated, they're still turning. The oil pump is still pressurizing all of those bits, like the crankshaft and the camshafts. So oil is flowing to all the bits that really need oil flow, and the cylinder bores are still being lubricated from that oily typhoon down there. So what exactly needs this additional electronically controlled lubrication system? I'm not seeing it. What happens is when the engine control computer has a look around and it goes, uh, 
oh yeah, I'm at those conditions right now. And I'll just shut down cylinders one and four. All it does is it sends a little message to the hydraulic lifters in the valve system and it collapses them on cylinders one and floor. So uh, floor and four. <laughs> so those valves are no longer in play. The valves in cylinders two and three, they're still doing their thing and everything is still lubricated. Everything that's moving is absolutely lubricated, at least in so far as I can tell. So there's that. Also, the system led to some engine failures in the US and a recall. Yeah, dude, absolutely. There was a recall in the United States and a recall here. Uh, that happened in the United States, at least, on the 10th of July in 2019. This is the official statement Mazda gave the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration on that day that dealt with that recall. It was between a quarter of a million and 300,000 vehicles affected, I think. Anyway, they were 2018 and 2019 CX-5s, Mazda 6s and 2019 Mazda 3s. And basically the guts of it here is that, uh, quote, on certain powertrain control modules, the software controlling the hydraulic valve clearance adjuster may operate improperly when transitioning from cylinder deactivation to full cylinder activation modes. So that's when it's turning cylinders one and four back on after deactivation. As a result, an intake valve rocker arm may come out of position and make contact with internal engine parts, which may cause an engine misfire, loss of engine power, and or malfunction indicator light illumination. So big warning light on the dashboard. Uh, they go on to say that no accidents, injuries or deaths have been reported from the field to date as a result of this defect. That was on the 10th of July 2019. So this is a pretty unremarkable recall, frankly. This is a number of vehicles that they've identified a potential problem with. They weren't all defective. This is just a batch that could have that defect. And they went on and fixed it. And within a, a week, actually, Mazda Australia followed suit. And uh, here's the official recall notice from Mazda Australia to the feds here. And uh, basically, that was... That was published on the 17th of July 2019, and there was only 18,000 cars, I think it was, 18,719 affected vehicles. Just to put that in perspective, this is 2018 and 2019-year model, right? And over that time, in 2019, Mazda sold uh, 26,000. 1,000 CX, or 25,000 CX-5s, 25,000 Mazda 3s, and 2,600 Mazda 6s. So that's roughly 52,500 cars in one year. So over two years, they would have sold more than 100,000 cars, and about 18,000, 19,000 of them were recalled. It's exactly the same defect. I don't think anyone died or was injured here either. So this was just a batch of dodgy products that they, potentially dodgy, that they fixed. And I fail to see why we should damn future products as a result of that, okay? It's just one of those things. If you went back in time and looked at most models, they've been subject to some kind of recall. And it is absolutely a mistake to damn the rest of the breed or even the ones that have been recalled and fixed because recalls are an example of car makers getting on the front foot, copping a reputational knee in the nuts and yet doing the right thing anyway. So 
this is not a reason not to buy a current Mazda 6, CX-5, Mazda 3 or any other future Mazda with the 2.5 litre Sky Active engine because that problem is water under the bridge and it's been solved. We usually keep our cars for at least 10 years so your thoughts on this system would be greatly appreciated. My thoughts on this system are it works. It's kind of technology for its own sake because that vehicle's already reasonably reliable and do you really need it? How much fuel is it actually going to save you? And if you've got forty or 50000 bucks to spend on a Mazda 6 or a CX-5 with the big engine, then do you really need to save a trivial amount on fuel? It's technology for its own sake, but it works and it's been fixed. The defective batch has been dealt with. If you're looking for a reason not to buy the vehicle, this is not that. I mean, you could look at what's happening in the federal court with Mazda being sued by the ACCC for unconscionable conduct and whether they're dealing with that effectively by dealing better with customers into the future. That would be something that would warrant investigation. But this is simply not a reason not to buy that vehicle, at least not as I see it. It would not stop me from buying that car. By all means, use this question on your website. Other people might be interested. Hope you're okay in the lockdown. Well, thank you for asking, Jeff. Yes, all okay here in the fat cave. In fact, lockdown schmockdown. I've been practicing for social isolation my entire life. Totally copacetic here beneath stately Chateau Schittsville, just sitting here talking to you, nude from the waist down, just like always. And now this from you, if your name is Joe King. Oh, John, I'm a grey nomad who loves your videos. I don't get offended by your reference to caravans. I find them quite hilarious. FYI, yes, I did spend 100k on a four-wheel drive and 100k on a caravan. I've been on the road for three years now, experiencing an endless summer, totally yearly spend being about 50 grand per annum. So total cost is about 350 grand, amortised over three years, is about 117k PA. Yes, five-star hotels are great, but few people could afford the hotel costs for more than a month or so. Well, thank you, Joe King. And a quick shout-out to all you other Joes. Joe Kaname, etc. It must be said that I am gratified indeed that the sulfurous, ammoniated air at Dingo Piss Creek has not interfered with your cognitive capacity one iota. Here in the greatest country on earth, the disunited states of Schittsville, no other lifestyle for just $117,000 per annum could see you and your gut and your lovely wife and your effluent so miraculously on tour endlessly. It's what we all want, I'm sure. Hashtag living the dream. Oh, I just learned a lot from this video, even through all the boomer humour. Slim Jim there. Boomer humour. <laughs> Hashtag respect. What a name for the next big hit on YouTube. Thanks for watching, Jim. One does hope your testes manage to drop at the earliest convenience.
kind regards and harden the fuck up, you snowflake. Respectfully, Boomer Humor. Boy? With modern technology, do you really need that big microphone in your face? I do love it indeed when people with no broadcast experience whatsoever chime in with their brilliant take on how this stuff should work. So this is a Rode Procaster, okay? It's like a cheapy broadcast quality microphone on a Blue Microphones Compass arm and that feeds back into the camera where you are, just over there. And... One of the reasons for using a microphone like this is that it's got what they call a really tight polar pattern, which means that it's very sensitive when you get right up on it with your late-night radio DJ voice, right? But back here, it's not so sensitive at all. And the upshot of this, because it's really friggin' noisy in here, there's two fans going on both of these lights just here, and they're quite noisy, and there's a lot of other ambient noise. You know, vehicles go up and down the street, and we have Blackhawk down occasionally with a helicopter playing search and rescue mission training just over there. So for all these reasons, a microphone like this is really good at rejecting noise that's further away than about this, which is why I'm using it in that situation. Just over there, when I read the prompter, I've got a different kind of microphone. It's a shotgun microphone that's boomed from above down here, and it's just above my head like that, and it's good at rejecting off-axis noise. So Anyway, you could use a cheapy microphone like a lapel microphone just here. And yeah, with all that modern technology, you could do that. But the problem with lapel microphones is that they're not really directional because, you know, people move and they, they go off the mic if you use a directional uh, lapel mic. So they tend to pick up everything. So if you want to listen even harder to those fans, I'll sort you out, okay, and just wear a lapel mic. I'm doing this for you, dude. And to make this work, I actually need another piece of equipment that COVID is just bending me over on at the moment. It's a little overdue. It's called a cloud lifter. I'll plug that in and the noise floor should go Mariana's Trench anytime soon. The smart visual satire is the tools in the background. In long-running and highly informative television shows such as Current Affair, they show all the experts speak with a bookcase in the background. Since John's subject is a little less wanky white collar, he uses tools to show that alpha expertness in motoring. Some of these tools could even be used in cars. That pick hammer acts on the right, especially to throw at your... I think we might leave that one right there. The better not to run afoul of a community guidelines violation. <laughs> Already had one of those. Not fun. Okay, so... In the domain of tools, okay, they exist everywhere. They're a bit like the Matrix Morphix 007. Plenty of tools in the comments, I note from time to time. It is a bit of a tooly cesspit out there. But with respect, I would suggest that, yes, I did build this set. And the tools in the background are actually tools that I use quite a bit. And the beauty of doing this, which I didn't realize until afterwards, is that when you've got this sort of first order accessibility, anytime you need to go and actually do a job, you look on the wall and you just go, oh yes, I need a 12 millimeter spanner. And you go, and it's right there in front of your eyes. So there's that. And you can see if anything's missing. And I 
hate to think how much of my life I have wasted with my snout in a friggin' toolbox, rooting around past all the other spanners for the one that I really need now. We do that a lot. And furthermore, I'd suggest about this fine fat cave in which we are having this discussion right now, that This is just like everyone else's fat cave. Like, this is my workshop where I do all kinds of maintenance stuff and I fabricate a little bit of this and that. And it's also my gym, which explains all of that other crap just over here. And that's quite normal, okay? Most people have a gym in their garage and some tools in their garage and they do a bit of their hobby, this and that, in their garage. The only difference is I've added one more function to the garage, which is it's a ghetto television studio so it's actually quite functional but you know everyone wants to have a shot what would you prefer me to put in the background Morphix? like riddle me that tool toyota has managed to give a land cruiser the aerodynamics of a brick on wheels and the engine performance of a v6 turbo diesel engine from 10 years ago have a look at the power torque and fuel consumption of the european alternatives i drive a european v8 diesel that puts out way more power and torque with lower fuel consumption than the toyota v6 diesel david molesworth there and i have to say i agree with much of that okay There's the question of reliability and the euros and all of that stuff. But if we put that to one side and just do as David recommends and have a look at the current alternatives. Land Cruiser 300, that's the upcoming Land Cruiser, 3.3 twin turbo diesel, 227 kilowatts peak power, 700 newton meters peak torque. If we compare that with the current Mercedes-Benz GLE 2.9 twin turbo diesel, 243 kilowatts of peak power and 700 newton meters okay so 243 for the benz versus 227 for the new land cruiser and 700 newton meters peak for both engines okay that's seven percent more power from 12 percent less engine and they're about the same weight so the benz is going to go a little bit better that's just how it rolls plus they cost about the same and it must be said that for average people the Benz would have heaps more cachet don't know about reliability I don't know about reliability for the Benz they tend to throw you under the bus if you've got problems but I also doubt that Toyota can make the uh, 300 series reliable at least that twin turbo diesel engine has a great deal of new complexity and the first adopters are going to be lab rats, that's pretty certain. But the Benz has more cachet, except, of course, if you are a piss-creakian, for whom, obviously, a Land Cruiser is roughly equivalent to Naomi Campbell on a bearskin rug. John, you would probably have a happier life if you didn't whinge every fucking chance you get. You really are a poor, pathetic individual that really needs to get a life. Misfit Phoenix there making an interesting point and to whom I would respectfully retort, dude or dudette, and yet you watch. I've never understood that. Like, why sit there on your increasingly corpulent RS with your snout like this at the glass teat, listening to and watching somebody who really needs to get alive? I don't understand that. I never will. Pro tip individuals who not individuals that english so complex pronouns in particular i do hate it when the education system 
leaves anybody behind. Do not blame yourself. Dear Ms. Phoenix, enjoy your day at the chicken processing plant while I eke out my poor pathetic life here in the fat cave. Love and kisses. Me. You don't get tits like that from enjoying outdoor activities. Sorry, the trolls have been slack. I feel it is my duty to fill in. Ha 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 ha. South Stalk. There. South Stalk. What a fascinating name. You'd agree. And quite brave, too, now that I think about it, to wear such a literal truth everywhere you go online. Hashtag respect. That's brave, Southie. I mean, I would be gutted if that were the disposition of my stalk. But we're not here to talk about my stalk, are we? We're here to talk about That's actually quite pleasant. I might have to make more time to do this kind of thing. Probably never get anything done. Anyway, I'm down from double D to D and still quite firm indeed for a man of my advanced years, which would be 57. So it's fair to say that their best years are behind them. But to you trolls, right? And I know Southie's not really a troll. He's just trying to be a troll and failing. But to you real trolls who will... Look for any opportunity to sink the scriber in between the ribs of some creator. <sighs> Dude, get a life. Because, you know, that's not going to work with me. But I do fear for the mental health of some creators who are more susceptible. I mean, I've got this mental defect where I simply don't give a shit what anybody thinks. And I've come to terms with it. It's actually oddly liberating. But to you trolls, I would suggest if further critique of my bosoms is warranted you can only do this after you pass the fat bastard test <laughs> the old bastard test the boomer challenge take the boomer challenge and if you pass more critique will be entertained otherwise zip it dude the boomer challenge is you get your phone dude right and you look at the timer and you put 10 minutes up on the clock and you see how many pull-ups you can do in 10 minutes the only rules are Straight arm at the bottom, chin over the top. When you're doing the chin-ups, your feet can't help. That's kind of important. And then, when you're done with that, do it all again, except with push-ups, okay? And the only rules are, straight as a friggin' scriber. No sagging at the... You've got to be planking it straight. And you have to have your arms straight at the top. And your buzzies from double A's to double D's have to touch the deck on the way down. Okay, And if you can smash out 40 or more pull-ups in those 10 minutes and 50 or more proper push-ups in those 10 minutes, critique my boobies all you want. It's not a bad test of how you're going physically at any age. So how about you do that? Do it now, dude. You just need 20 minutes and play some music, get your phone with the timer. Let me know what you get in the comments. I'd be very surprised actually, if too many people can beat 40 or 50. But love to know how you go. That'll be your homework until next we meet.